Hey, Queeros, a brand new season of Raised by TV comes out this week. Raised by TV is a podcast where John Gabris, friend of mine, and Lauren Lapkus, friend of mine, revisit the best and worst of the 80s and 90 TV shows that they grew up on. Everything from SNCC to TJF to serial commercials to Oprah. In season three, John and Lauren are back talking about more of the TV shows and memorable characters that warp their minds. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart, and as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cameron here. This week's episode is a chat with the owners and proprietors of Cuties, a queer coffee shop in L.A., in an effort to continue to expand beyond just amazing celebs and folks who work in the entertainment industry. Um, here are folks who ha- are business owners. I am so excited about the continued support for our show. And hey, if you love the types of guests that we're getting and the types of things that I'm hoping to highlight in the queer community, please share the podcast. I just want to say that's the best thing you can do is to rate and review on iTunes or share on your social media. Please enjoy today's show. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on, darling. I know, I know, I know it's careless. Uh, who's watching the shop right now? Our very capable uh, baristas now is actually in the shop. I just saw them and said hi before I came here. Cool. And uh, our manager, Anne, I believe, is also close by. Coordinator. Coordinator. Ooh. Yep. I would have said coordinator. I would have said that person seems like they're managing and coordinating. Yep. All of those things are true. You know, we start this show, we is me. I start this show by asking uh, guests to introduce themselves. So would you... Mind introducing yourselves? Sure. Yeah, you can start. Okay. Yeah, my name is Virginia Bowen. My pronouns are she, her. Um, I'm a transgender woman who grew up in Virginia, relocated to L.A. about eight years ago. Um, I've had an illustrious career in software and uh, intersecting with coffee in many occasions. Um, And I am now working in coffee and... uh, you know, I'm an owner of this this shop named Cuties that we're going to talk about today. Uh, would you mind introducing yourself? Yeah. Uh, my name is Iris. Uh, my pronouns are they, them, theirs. And uh, I am also from Virginia and uh, opened this queer coffee shop and community space called Cuties with uh, my co-founder, Virginia. Awesome. I wasn't sure. I mean, that's so because I would call like a queer coffee shop. So yeah. That's also what you call it, both of you? Yeah, I, I would say so. I think I think we try to focus on the fact that it's queer owned and operated, but it's it's a shop for everybody. And of course. Yeah. yeah. And even though one of the one of the things that people asked us at first before it really existed was like, am I welcome there as an ally or am I welcome there as a straight person who doesn't identify with the queer community? And of course the answer is yes. That's how we're we're saying, of course, that is a good question. But I think I think the reason I say, of course, is because if it's a business, exactly, if it's a business that's queer own, 
and operate in, and even focused, usually we queer people still want to take your straight allied money. Correct. You know, I think the the it's good that folks ask that question if it's like say a party or um, an event or like. I'm thinking of something like an AA meeting that's like specifically for queer folks. Then I think I think that's where that question stems from is like people not knowing – or I think it maybe stems from two places. One is that there are places that really should be a little bit more um, just for queer folks. And then within that, different iterations and identities within that. So like if it's a trans person of color exclusive – meeting um i probably shouldn't go to that um but if it's a business that's owned by a trans person of color as a white person i actually should like definitely go to that and like spend my money there correct 110 <laughs> yeah yeah and i but i i so i think some of that is like maybe there and i think the other part of that is that like sometimes allies and straight folks uh feel uninvited when it's just a space where they might not be centered. Right. And they they need help with the nuance because they they often uh, just step back uh, out of fear. Um, and I think it's it's in many cases it doesn't take much for us to sort of welcome them in and have them um, realize that we do need them there and we do need their dollars. And this coffee shop very much is is a product of the couple of blocks that it serves. It's a very local, uh, localized business. So even though it's queer owned and operated, um, most of the people that we see on a regular basis, on a day to day basis, um, are are the people that live there. Can you talk a little bit more about the neighborhood that it's in here in Los Angeles? Yeah, it's in East Hollywood. Um, it's just below Las Feliz, and it's right next to Virgil Village and Silver Lake. So it's sort of nestled next to LACC. It's right by Scoops. Um, but I mean, for folks who also don't live here, like, what's that neighborhood like? Like, what, who lives there? Because you're saying it serves the local folks. Like, who who is that? Who lives there? It's gone through a couple of different um, iterations, but it's a largely working class neighborhood. Um, it's got a lot of different people that live there. We have um, a fair amount of Latino families. Um, the, it's, it's not an overly gentrified area. Um, it's very much a place where we, um, felt that we were close enough to Silver Lake and Los Feliz where we sort of weren't expanding outside of like a normal territory where a business could, could succeed. Um, and we also went into a place that was already a coffee shop. Um, because we thought that that was sort of a, a good signal that like the, the community wanted a coffee shop there. Um, and it was a good signal that, uh, coffee shops had succeeded there in the past. It used to be a cafecito organico, um, and cafecito, uh, began roasting and moved out of that space just down to Virgil village, which is a few blocks away. Oh, also, supposedly there used to be a bathhouse near our coffee shop in the late <laughs> 80s, early 90s that one of our friends who's an older community member, he came in and he was like, this is right near that bathhouse I used to go to. <laughs> I was like, that's great. I'm so glad. <laughs> you know, I feel like anybody listening still might not know what you're talking about. What's a bathhouse? Oh, so uh, a bathhouse is uh, usually it's a place when someone says the word bathhouse, it's like a it's like a day spa where you go, and usually uh, it's a place where 
uh, gay men go to have casual sex. I think you did a great job with yeah. that definition. Like, I kind of think you nailed that because that was definitely something where you could have been like, I don't know the way to describe this thing, but I felt like you. I'm I'm fascinated by bathhouses. Actually, so am I. I'm <laughs> I'm going to tell you the truth, which is that I am the only person. I don't know if this is still true. At the time that I went there, it was true. I'm the only person with an F on their driver's license to ever go into Steamworks Chicago, which is a bathhouse that is part of a, tra- a chain of bathhouses that um, I, like, always was really just like, what's going on in there? But it's also not for me, but I want to ask a lot of follow-up questions. Uh, but then I got to go do a stand-up show in there. That's amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. So, like, they took me in through, like, a different door. Um, so that I wouldn't be, like, scaring the crap out of anybody. And then uh, I did stand-up for an audience that was facing me, but then behind the audience was the sh- were the showers. So, Amazing. like, the audience was looking at me, yeah. who was doing stand-up. Yeah. But I was looking at showers. something much more interesting than stand-up. Yeah. How oh. was the energy of that show? Uh, I mean, I feel like I wasn't even – I probably blacked out. Like, I wasn't paying attention at all to doing stand-up comedy. I was more just, like – really stoked to be a part of this space for a moment and like to do it in a like it wasn't like I snuck in or like I messed with anybody's flow it was just like some friends of mine that knew that I was fascinated like set this up and helped me figure out how to get in there in a way that was safe for everybody yeah but yeah yeah it's a really it's like a sacred it can be a really sacred space for people that the bathhouse like going and being able to like let your guard down and experience your body and experience your sexuality in a way. I mean, I haven't experienced that firsthand, but just hearing secondhand through oral history. No pun intended. (laughs) Oral history. Well, also, I mean, Steamworks specifically. And again, like, I'm speaking from what I think is true. Like, I'm an outsider in this world. But Steamworks also does, like, so much work in um, testing and safe sex. So I think also, like bathhouses have a connection to when like the AIDS and HIV epidemic were like was like first kicking off and people were um contracting HIV and AIDS without realizing what was going on like we didn't have any information yet like that was a place that might have been like very high risk but then knowing that I think some of those spaces have like really embrace the idea of being the opposite of that. Like, we're a place you can come get tested and we're a place you can get information and condoms and things like that, which to me is a pretty cool way of reclaiming what could have been, like, just a... just... only trauma, you know? So, good job. I hope that's true. I hope I'm speaking from something that I know. uh, Again, from secondhand, our friend Raul Quintero, he is on the front lines of a lot of this activism work. He goes to bathhouses. Part of his job is to go to bathhouses, and there is usually a little chalkboard or a whiteboard where you write what you're looking for, like I'm a, you know, pig bottom in room three looking for hot daddy. (laughs) Um, So he'll write, you know, hey, my name is Raul. I have um, information about prep and testing supplies. Come and see me in room number eight. That's rad. He's he's one of my, when you were talking about queeros, he's one of my, like, just the way he lives and embodies his activism and his care for the community and for himself and the people around him. That's been... He's an inspiration. I Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's clear to me that you both care a lot about the community. And you said that you have, like, a background in coffee. 
philosophy. Yeah, a little bit. What? Yeah, Virginia. What? What is the background in co- what is the background in coffee? It's it's kind of accidental because um, I I was a software engineer and I didn't like any of the jobs that I was finding. Uh, they took Where were me, you at the time? Here, Virginia. Actually, Virginia. A lot of them were defense contracting jobs, and like Virginia Tech ended up being a school that really just sort of pushed you into the. Um, defense industry. Wow. Um, so that's so like... that was like disappointing. So I I started a um, I started a company where we just like sold things for small artisan food producers. So I tried to like create. Why? A, how? Like well, I mean, how does somebody go? That seems like a well. I knew large that turn. It is. It is. But I think like if you can create like an e-commerce shop in 2008, like the technologies are a lot different now, but like in 2008, uh, it was very hard for people to sell things online. And um, I was good friends with a person who was a buyer at a major supermarket. And she said that like, due to like the, the limitations on the shelves, we just can't put a lot of these great food producers in the market. So we had all these people that needed to sell directly to consumer. So we helped them. And you're like, I can build that. Yeah. Because I know how to do that. Yeah. That's really cool. So you saw a, maybe, maybe a problem isn't the right thing, but like a, a space. Saw a space. Popped in there. Popped in there. And then uh, got to know a lot of coffee producers because of that, because coffee was just one of those, um, one of those parts of the industry that were a little underserved. And I um, eventually moved to L.A. and met a few more coffee people and ended up starting a coffee company that sold only online. So I was a vertical company selling directly to consumers. Um, And then I went to work for Blue Bottle and worked there for a little bit. Um, Like on the corporate side? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Selling things on the internet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then after that, I sort of tried to – I knew I had a number of contacts that were um, experienced with retail. And I, I had not done retail up until Cuties. So we were, we were thinking about, like, what creates space in a city that's relatively egalitarian that, like, is cheap to get into. Like, you, it's, you don't have to pay $10 for a drink to be there. Like, how can you create a casual daytime space um, that doesn't rely on grants and can just be self-sustaining? And and we felt like coffee was a pretty good model for that, has a lot of history in that. Um, queer spaces and coffee go together uh, historically. Like, it's just a simple place for people to be and relax, um, access to water, like, there's a lot of simple things that a coffee shop provides for a community um, at the street level that I don't think people really understand how important it is. Um, I want to break some of this down a little bit because I think, number one, you're really good at covering like many things at once. But I want to ask some follow up questions. Sure. Um, and I so now I see that you maybe have a special skill in going like, oh, this is a thing I can do. This is like a space where there's – this is an opening. I'll make the thing that goes in that space, which is very cool because it means you've got like some confidence going on and that you think that you can provide that to people, which is rad. Um, I want to ask Iris like what your background is in prior to Cuties. I worked in the film and entertainment industry for almost a decade. I've heard of that thing. Yeah, that's, I mean. What did you do there? uh, I did costume design and wardrobe styling and tailoring. I had a stint as a sound person. So boom, 
boom opping and uh, working as a sound utility tech too when I was kind of tapering out of the film industry. Um, and I got my start in Chicago. Uh, I went to the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Oh, so I'm from Chicago. I know, that's what I hear. Yeah. That's what I hear. I, did yeah. you ever go to Chance's Dances when it was totally. like— Totally. Oh, yeah. We probably we probably <sighs> saw each other. Danced <laughs> next to each other back-to-back back back. occasionally. I, I remember it being very sweaty <laughs> at a lot of times, sure. especially when it was at Big Horse. I remember there was one night where it was like the middle of summer— Everyone was in their underwear at one point. It was I probably brilliant. wasn't. That doesn't sound like me, but I'm sure everybody else and then I was wearing a scarf. You know what I mean? Like just like inappropriately too many layers. Like I put something on. I was just like, everybody else is really in their underwear. Does anyone have a vest? I really need to put a vest on to like feel comfortable. Um, that's rad. So yeah, you started at the Art Institute of Chicago and then you started getting into film. While I was there. in school, like I, I remember my senior year, I was uh, biking to the west side to shoot a move like my last semester I was working nights on a film shoot doing wardrobe and then would like go home sleep for three hours and get up and go to class what like year would this have been I wonder if I was there this was 2006 2007 I totally would have been oh yeah. There. yeah 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 I moved back in 2006 so we were in the same like I remember I think I remember hearing about you like people people were there was really a lot of like talk. lore on the street just yeah. like oh yeah this vest about- you won't even believe it yeah. <laughs> I mean it was it was this interesting point where it was like you were like People were really just starting to talk and get excited about you. Oh, that's really cool. It was fun. So now it's it's a really surreal experience to be talking with you on your podcast. <laughs> and it's really great. It's one of those really, like, life is surprising. Well, life both. is surprising. Yeah. Sometimes you're just like, I think I need to start a <laughs> online store in 2008. And, like, nobody knows how to do that yet. <laughs> um, that's rad. So then, uh, all right, you're doing that. You moved to L.A.? Yeah, I moved to L.A. because the film industry shuts down for about six months, or it's very slow for about six months out of the year. Because of so the cold. terrible snow. Yes. Yep, cold and snow and ice and yes. darkness. Yeah, yeah. Deep, deep darkness. <laughs> uh, we don't uh, have any of that here, which is honestly sometimes a shame. I could do, I could do like one or two like gloomy L.A. days. Do you ever do pretend? I do pretend bad weather days. Like I open up the window, like it's, if it's a day off and I'm like, look oh, look outside and I was like, oh, it's horrible out. Surely I can't go out and I shut the shades and put on a movie. I and don't like, ever do that for myself. And that is probably a character flaw. I really need to do that. <laughs> I really need do a, to do a, do a faux bad weather day. Chill out, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so was in the film industry here, was super dissatisfied. It was also not a great place for my mental health or well-being, so – scooted out of there. Um, what, what were you feeling like? It was multiple things. I mean, you know, it's like 12 to 16 hour days every yeah, it's day. it's really hard to have like a normative existence. Yeah, very hard to have a normative existence. Also, um, I got really, it was emotionally taxing in the sense of like I was having to dress uh, queer and trans characters that were jokes or a punchline as opposed to like oh. a, and I was just like that, those were kind of the last things that did it for me where I was like, I can't do this. Or also sex workers who were used as um, props, like stand-ins for de- – like inconsequential stand- stand-ins for death. You know, like I'm not going to des- quote, dress, quote-unquote, dead hooker number four again. Like I'm really not. <laughs> yeah, that's heartbreaking. Um, I mean I certainly haven't always ha- – that's interesting that you say that because I haven't always had um, super positive experiences on the – Oh, God, I'm sorry I'm going to use this word, 
talent side of what's the other above thing? the line? You, yeah, whatever it is, the actor side of things, uh, for similar reasons, but not actually for well, people being like, you, you, you said you wear button down shirts, so like you probably wear this button down shirt, and then it's just like a really um, like tapered in in the waist with like a large expansion out to some hips and it's like the darts are making it's just like really not how I want to have anybody photograph me especially like for moving photographs mm-hmm. <laughs> where they're going to see my body roll around in that or whatever like mm-hmm. be in the world in that so um wish we could have met up I feel like we would have affirmed each other oh I think so too <laughs> there would have been that like cry from behind the eyes and yeah. then acceptance <laughs> yeah because I definitely I've also had positive experiences too but I have certainly had like wow this is really the gulf here is like insurmountable or like people make comments about your body you know oh yeah because they're because they're in this mindset of like like I don't think I'm an ingenue I'm not here like because I like nobody speaks to me this way. Maybe the people you talk to in this job are the kind of actor that people go like, well, I'm seeing this, that, and this from your body. But I'm just like a stand-up comic who accidentally got into this. So I'm like not ready for you to say a bunch of shit about my body. Yeah, there's like a – there's a certain distance that they have emotionally from it. And I don't think there's I a think lot of – I think you're summing it up. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have – I have n- not nearly enough emotional distance from my own body. <laughs> How about you two? <laughs> it's gotten better over the years. Good for job. Sure. Yeah, me too. I mean, that's true. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. You work on. Yeah. 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 Um, I noticed that also you are both like really respectful of listening to each other and have not cut each other off one mo- at at even one moment or even like kind of added to. It's like very. There's a very. Um, separate energy but I'm not saying that in a there's no judgment put on that like talk to me about this partnership because how it started and sort of like even what it looks like now um, because it seems like y'all are individuals which is not a bad thing no it is teach me how to be an individual good boundaries are a great thing to cultivate and tend to much like a garden yeah I mean I think we've we've certainly worked hard at reinforcing the things that we need from each other. Um, and that goes with, with staff as well as with us. But we, we have a pretty good understanding of, of how we work well together. Um, and I do think that the thing that you're picking up on, which is sort of like making sure that the other person stops and says the, the complete thought, like that's something that we, that we take to a lot of spaces as well. Hmm. Um, just because we're talking to a lot of people where – um, uh, it's, it's not helpful to like riff really, because we don't necessarily know what their complete thought is. Um, and, uh, we do a lot of active listening. We do a lot of, um, repeating back, but, uh, we, we actually got to know each other, uh, in the community, seeing each other at community events first. And we would start talking about what things that we didn't like and what things that we we thought people should be doing better. What were those things? 
uh, a lot about uh, community guidelines. Uh, there were some events that would have um, codes of conduct or how, hey, this is how we treat each other in the space. This is how we keep ourselves and each other safe. And we would see, like, it's like three tiers, right? There are events and spaces that have no codes of conduct and no guidelines. And it's just you're kind of left to your own devices and left to the community self-polices itself. Then you have um, you have community events and spaces that do have codes of conduct and hold hold themselves in the community to those guidelines. And then you have some in the middle who have a code of conduct, but they might not always enforce it or might not always they might make special exceptions for friends or and we would see the middle happen a lot. Where Can you talk to me even – first of all, I think that it seemed – like what's really rad in talking to both of you is that you both seem like so steeped in the community that like there's a lot of stuff that you're saying that like I think I know what you mean. But I'm going to ask you a bunch of follow-up questions. Yeah, please do. Because number one, we live in L.A. and L.A. Som- – sometimes I think L.A. has like – our our community here has evolved so far that they're – and I know because of my job that like I travel a lot and some – communities don't have these conversations. So sometimes we're talking about something that seems really normative to us. And like, you know, in whatever city, they're just like, yo, we like straight up just got, you know, whatever it is, like yeah. queer as folk. Like, yeah. like <laughs> we like just got queer yeah. as folk on DVD or whatever it is. Um, but uh, I think I want to know a little bit more about what you mean by like the codes of conduct and where you're experiencing that. Like what, give me some more information on what that looks like. Uh, okay, so codes of conduct. So we met. Um, let's see. What I'm trying to think of in term. Oh, you like what a code of like what a yeah like what are you like what are you, what is the space you're talking about and what is the conduct that you're talking about? Like, are you talking about going to like a party or a bar and this is like posted on the wall or like what is it that you're specifically referencing? Oh my god, I just pulled the headphones off my head. So, Great job. <laughs> let's go. So I don't want to. I like. I do like. We met through – I don't know how if I want to be very specific about the event that we're going to be critiquing right now. Oh, you don't have to say, like, what it is. Oh. I think maybe just, like, vaguely, like, a bar or a kink space or, like, something, oh, yeah, that, kink, gives, yeah, something yep. that gives me some context yeah, kink so that space. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, like, kink-positive spaces, sex-positive spaces, um, queer spaces – uh, those are the places that we were interacting with each other first through and kind of observing and being like, oh, hey, they say they're doing that, but if you're watching, they're not really doing that. Or And the people are saying this like that's like lip service or like when you come in, there's like some posted code of conduct that you're not seeing followed through. Like what was the experience that you Oftentimes, uh, I would see just an, a, they would apply the rules differently. So one example being um, – there was there was a group that I was a member of for a while who tried to create a very objective way of educating people when they came into this this uh, sex positive group. Um, and over time, it was clear that they would basically um, apply the rules selectively, such that the people who were often reprimanded or kicked out ended up being disabled or people of color. And it was pretty clear over a period of time what was happening, but that selective application of their codes of conduct just reinforced a power structure that in ostensibly the objective codes of conduct were meant to level out at least a little bit in those spaces. Can I ask some follow-up questions here? And you can tell me if any at any moment this is like uncomfortable or too far. So if we're talking about like a kink or sex positive or like play – 
Um, what are the mm, sort of general codes of conduct that like what would be expected of a person in that space that that you would think? Well, I don't think there's a standard. And I think that's part of the issue. Like you can find, um, like depending on the space, there are some play spaces that have very limited rules. Um, a common one in kink and play spaces is no photography because you want to protect people's anonymity. Some people have, uh, many people have jobs that would be put at risk if um, it was made publicly aware that they were attending sex parties or play parties or kink events. Um, so privacy is important. By the um, way, that makes logical sense. I just want to weigh in and say no photography seems like it makes logical sense. Yep. I think we're very used to being on our phones and just putting your phone away and just, you know, being like, I'm going to have this experience. I don't need to have photographs of it. I know some play spaces will have a photo booth area where it's like, hey, this is the place where you can take your camera out. Um, That's one way to do it. And then people can still enjoy the space um, freely without without fear of, oh, I'm going to be documented doing what I'm doing. Another uh, rule or another common code is like, hey, we don't, you know, you don't touch people without consent first. You get positive consent. It's not just no means no, it's yes means yes. Um, Another code of conduct uh, that you see regularly is uh, to listen to the dungeon monitors or the DMs. So there's someone who is appointed by the party or the community who is helping maintain those guidelines and make sure the codes of conduct are being followed and um, handle any uh, disputes or issues that come up. Hey, Queeros, this week's episode is sponsored by RX Bar. It's a whole food protein bar made with real whole ingredients. How many ingredients? And like... How do I know what they are? Well, straight up, they list it on the front of the packaging. Yeah, that's the thing with RX Bar. It's made from just a few simple, clean ingredients. Each would serve a purpose, like egg whites for protein or dates to bind or nuts for texture. They've got 14 delicious flavors like mango pineapple or chocolate hazelnut mixed berry. Whether you like sweet or savory chocolate or fruit, there's an RX Bar for you. They're all gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free with no artificial colors, preservatives, or fillers. Straight up, listeners, I eat these in the airport all the freaking time because I travel all the time. It's really hard to figure out like what is a snack that you can take with you or a breakfast um, that you know what is in it. And that's the thing with RX Bar. You totally know what's in there. I like them a lot. You can go to rxbar.com slash query and, and get 25% off your first order when you enter the promo code query at checkout. That's rxbar.com slash query, promo code query for 25% off your first order. Enjoy. This week's episode of Query is sponsored by Pact, the organic clothing company on a mission to make sure you feel comfy in your skin, literally and figuratively. Pact makes butter soft clothing using 100% organic cotton and partners with fair trade certified factories because they believe the comfort of people who make your clothes is just as important as the comfort for the people who wear them. Even more comforting, the price. Yeah, because even though they're organic, Packed clothing is super affordable. Tees are just 15 bucks, leggings are 30, and undies are $9. Packed sent me an awesome sweatshirt from the air quotes menswear section uh, because that's what I asked for. It's super squishy soft. I like it so much, and I am wearing it currently. It's gray. Keep your comfort close and your true self closer by shopping at wearpact.com. That's W E A R P A C T.com. And 
Enter the code QUERY for 25% off your first order. That's wearpacked.com code QUERY. This is so interesting also because it's like kind of antithetical to, I think, um, maybe is like the stereotypical West Hollywood gay experience. Like that's another thing Very. that's so interesting about what you're talking about and why I think it's – why I'm asking these follow-up questions and like, you know, because um, when I think of – and I'm sure this is something you know what I'm talking about when we think of, like, the gay bar or whatever. It's like, first of all, you're thinking of a straight white cisgender dude. Like, that's just, like, what's popping in your mind if you hear the word gay bar, probably. Because that's what's been pitched to you. You mean, do you mean cisgendered? Yeah. Okay. Did I say you that? Said straight, straight, you said straight, straight white guy. <laughs> straight white cisgendered, yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, no. Well, yes, you're right. Yes. <laughs> cisgender white dude that is gay. That's who I'm thinking of. Yes, that's at that gay bar, and um, probably touching is like, like, like a joke, you know? Because there's oh, yeah. there maybe is like a go-go boy, or there's like a bachelorette party. Like we know these things that that we've been fed as a part of the community, and that I think probably people outside of the, of the queer community like think that's us, you know? Like they think like, oh no, it's like about like glitter and touching and like. Like, literally just, like, grabbing dicks. You know what I mean? Like, I think about that as part. So what you're describing is, like, so the opposite of that whole setup. It is. And, and I, I mean, I participated in that side of the, the community. We've all been to that bar. Um, yeah. <laughs> and those clubs. Yeah. Um, and it is, it is a stark difference. And I think it's, it's, really, it's really amazing to see those places accessible to people who aren't comfortable with those environments. Because... They, uh, you know, these spaces are, can be healing for, for everybody. Hmm. Yeah. Um, also like maybe, um, maybe some of those things, again, this is, I'm probably, maybe some of those things should like just kind of exist in the world. Yeah. It would be nice. (laughs) I think, I think the other thing about codes of conduct that's often overlooked is like, there's some, there's some, there's usually language around no, um, no body shaming, um, uh, no racism, um, and those things might seem uh, to some of us as like uh, things that don't, maybe they don't need to be there. But obviously, hopefully, in this day and age, we we all agree that they do. And the reason is because if you if you do have somebody who's unaware of their their privilege and and really using their um, their power in a way that it shouldn't be used, you need to be able to hold them accountable for those comments. And those comments sometimes are made offhand. People um, uh, need to be held accountable for them sometimes before they really recognize the behavior that they're they're bringing into a space. And sure. so those very basic things in the code of conduct, um, which we all try to live by. Um, really empower the space to hold it itself accountable for that. But that's often where you find people unwilling to um, to call out or call in people who are making those comments, especially if they're people who hold power in that community um, or because it's it's uncomfortable. but you're but what you're talking about is like very not specific to kink. Um, it's, it, it is very common 
and um, threaded into what we understand as the LGBT community. Yeah. Um, because, you know, we are – white folks are over-prioritized, over-represented. Our history is more told in this – even within this group of people whose history is untold. And – um you know, no doubt in my mind that that would be an issue in that space because it is an issue in all of our spaces. Right. And if you're saying like putting that into the rules, you know, there's the – then you have something you can say back when somebody is verbal about what they – you know, the way that they're acting. But then there's the, you know, the nonverbal stuff. There's the mm-hmm. – um, the like last week or maybe it was the week before. I don't know when this is going to be released. Um we just had Amber Hikes on who created the Philly pride flag. And, you know, she talked a lot about, um, getting death threats from our community, the white people in our community who are like, we don't need a special flag. And I'm like, that's the exact thing that straight people say to us about not needing a special day or a special parade or whatever. So, um, yeah, I, I hear you that that would be a, a an issue in that community because that is an issue in our community. Yeah. Like writ large. I mean, how do we, you know, how do we call it out? I think we talk about it constantly. I think we like put it into the code of conduct. If there's a code of conduct, you know, like I said, show up yeah. with your money. There's a zillion things that we need to do. Yeah. It's, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, when I say I think, it is truly the biggest obstacle that we have to overcome right now is the, way in which we're not truly um, a family. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a, I mean, we're all, we're all on this path together of like greater awareness, right? And like, it's a process. And um, I think people have a right to their anger and they have a right to their experience. Uh, I also know that people have a right to be imperfect too. That's such a good – I'm so glad you said that, yeah. And it's also interesting because especially in like the space that you're talking about because then you can get into the like, well, aren't I allowed to have like opinions about what I like? I just feel like we don't even have good dialogue on this yet because of course you are allowed to have opinions about what you like and of course you're allowed to like uh, choose who you want to be friends with or who you want to have as a sex part. Like of course we are allowed to choose that but it's the – it's like we're not even we're not even having a good enough conversation yet where we can kind of always get beyond the like silliness of the gut reactions to me. So like you're right, maybe part of that is like being a little kinder to people that say dumb things or well, to ourselves kind, when we think to ourselves, dumb mean, things. Yeah. There's loving, there's a difference between like accountability and like I want to be really careful how I choose my like I think we can hold each other in loving accountability. That does not mean anger goes away. That does not mean pain goes away. But loving accountability is like the path that I'm trying to choose for myself every day, <laughs> both to myself and to the community that surrounds me. Um, and I think the what you were talking about with oh sorry I lost my train of thought. No, um, but I was I, I feel like now I'm just loving accountability is how I need to treat myself constantly about all subjects. <laughs> yeah, loving accountability. Like how, <laughs> how are you going to like love yourself and hold yourself accountable? Mm. Um, the 
what what you were talking about with um, preferences, I think everyone is allowed, you know, we can all agree that everyone is allowed to have preferences, but I also think it's our moral imperative to examine our preferences. Yes. Like, yes. Like what was what was shown to me, what was said to me, what was modeled for me, why I am averse to this or drawn to this. Yeah. And and asking yourself that question is, a, I think, can be a very fruitful self-investigation that I, I, I'm hopeful that people embrace with this new cultural dialogue that we are constantly having. Yeah, I think you're totally right. I guess that's what I'm saying is that the question of like, well, why do I have to do that? That doesn't really do what you're talking about either, which is it kind of impedes the, oh, okay, I guess I do get to like figure out what I like and hmm, why do I like that, you know? So there's some different ways of bringing that in. Wow, this is all stuff I didn't think we were talking about at this podcast about your coffee shop. I, I mean, it's more than a coffee shop, right? Like at this core, it's deceptive. It's a coffee shop, but it's a lot more than a coffee what shop. What is it? Why don't you tell me what makes it more than a coffee shop? I think the coffee is just there to provide space and jobs. Like we don't really, I mean, like we do the coffee well, we care about it, but it's mostly in the pride that the employees have for what they're serving. Like I don't actually care about the thing that we're selling as much as I care that there's something that they have pride in that our customers want that keeps the doors open. And after that, it's just space. It's just space that uh, where we feel like our identities aren't um, aren't a hindrance to being employed. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not a hindrance in, uh, to run a, run a business in a community. It also creates a visible, literal visible real estate on that street. And in L.A., we have Amber Hikes' flag on the awning. Perfect. <laughs> um, and uh, it's, it's just – it's meant to be um, – it's meant to just just put us on the map a little bit more. And can I ask a, a follow-up question? I'm just anticipating this is important to you. I, I would guess, is it important to you that it is not an alcohol-centric space at all? It is, it is absolutely important that it's not an alcohol-centric uh, space. Uh, we have those spaces with gay bars. Uh, we don't have any lesbian bars left in L.A., unfortunately, which is really sad. Um, I would like it if there were queer-centered bars rather than – not rather than, but in addition to gay male-centric bars. Yeah. Um, but the alcohol component, we could – be in a much different place financially than we are right now if we opened up a bar. That is not where we wanted to put our energy and effort because there is uh, the the greatest need and the skills that we had married very well with a coffee shop. Uh, it'll be, you know, it. what we were excited about was that it would be an all ages space. Um, it would be a space open seven days a week. And um, the fact that so many members of our community struggle with substance abuse or will struggle with substance abuse in their lifetimes. Uh, it was a not a path we wanted to go down to provide a, a space that could um, really complicate people's relationship with alcohol. And what do you think, like, okay, so then versus opening like a community center, like talk to me about why it makes sense to you to open something that is a commercial operation. Well, I think we we live in a very um, in a very capitalist driven society. Yes. Um, and so 
we wanted to create something that that basically just um, just broke even. Yeah, <laughs> and just just something simple. <laughs> the smaller, the better. Yeah, a community a community center has a lot of different moving parts. Mm-hmm. A coffee shop actually is a relatively simple operation, um, and we wanted it to to support you know the welfare of a few employees. Um, we don't have skill sets in in providing sort of welfare type services in terms of or community sorry um, community services. Uh, there are already people doing that that do that better, like the Downtown Women's Center and the LGBT Center. Um, we we wanted something that was uh, just running a business and trying to run it in a way that uh, married with our values because that's also um, that's also important. No, I actually, I mean, I asked that question. I was just, where was I? Oh, I was in Montreal and I, um, I did this panel on this stand-up set that I did recently that is really personal and it's called Rape Jokes and I literally put it up for free and it's a fundraiser and, you know, this is making me feel very good about myself because I'm like, I used my art for good. And, um, an audience member asked me, Essentially, like, why do you participate in the economy at all when it is a creation of the patriarchy? And, um, like, essentially you've proven that this could run as a for free thing. And um, I was like, oh, God, I hope you don't think that's what I was trying to prove with this, which is that, like, art should sort of just be for free. Because I – called in a shit ton of favors to be able to do that. And my friends worked for free. And I don't ask my friends for work, to work for free. It was just that I knew with this thing, we could perhaps do some good that was beyond me. Like I was like, the pitch isn't that you're working for free for me. You're working for free for Rain, which is the organization that we donated to. Right. Um, but also, you know, to that person, I, I really had such um, a reaction to that because I was like, oh, man, I mean – I hope that's not what you're asking of yourself because I think especially as queer folks and then like I was cultured female, it's like how much emotional labor do I have to do that then I can't set up a business that's lucrative? Like I can't make and, – and by the way, I try to take the money that I do make and the opportunities that I do have to pass on to folks. I try to be a, a stone in the river that's redirecting back to our community. So like I actually think that there is a way – to sort of be a conscientious business owner and have that be one model for how to serve our community and ourselves. Because when we are strong and successful and independent, then we can give back in a way where essentially – I mean like there's going to be someone else who's, who has a different model and they're doing what they're doing and I want – you know, that person person should do that. But I also think like – I wanted to ask about this being a business because I think it is really important for you to not provide every service and try to enter into like fields where you don't have a skill set or whatever, but that it can be enough to open a place that you think you you can succeed at. Like you're saying break it even, but break even for a for a business for I mean I I don't know if would you use the word restaurant? Because like what is a, a coffee it's shop like a food, is it's a, like it's a food restaurant. service. Yeah. So it's like to break even in that space is actually succeeding because so many places <laughs> go under. So to me, that's like you're proving to the community that one can have that flag and still have people come in the door. 
That means that somebody that goes there and gets their coffee has this idea, well, I could be an entrepreneur. I can open a business. I mean, I know I don't have to tell you these things. You should cut me off to tell me it's important. that you agree. It's important no. to outline those things because those are the exact conversations that we had. And we thought that it would be like inspirational to see that we can do this and to build these skills because we've definitely sort of um, grown our muscle around small business ownership uh, in ways that we didn't have uh, previously. Um, the experience of opening this shop was incredible and surprising in many ways. And I feel like the more of us that have the ability to open small businesses that are supported by the immediate community that surrounds it, um, the stronger we're going to be. Capitalism, for all of its flaws, has um, a, a very direct um, path to relative stability and independence if you can serve your local community well. Um, that's not easy to do, but it is one path, and, and it's a path that I think I wish more people had access to, especially in our community. You said it was surprising. What was surprising about opening the business? It was surprising how difficult it was to work with um, the city. It was surprising how much money it cost. It was, um, it was surprising uh, all of the little headaches that come along with small business ownership, such as negotiating leases and um, handling all the legal. Um, all of those things are very, very difficult. Um, and running the business such that you don't overtax yourself and you, you are creating the right kind of space so that you can create a supportive environment is also hard in a small business because um, you, you are the main thing driving it and keeping it open. Can I also ask, oh, and this might, I hope you're comfortable with this level of transparency. Are you both um, supported by the business? No, we are not. So I, I actually work for another coffee company, <laughs> strangely enough. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Um, and uh, uh, so, I mean, we're trying to get the cafe to be just self-sufficient in and of itself. We want to be the administrators and, and the, um, the people who, who keep the things running, um, but we don't need to be um, supported by it. And Iris, is that true for you? You have do you have another thing going on that allows you to be in this situation? I I do I do have income from another source. Yeah. Okay. Um, has this happened yet that folks have asked you how to do this? Because I anticipate yeah. that that would also be a big part of it. Is that like you're saying? Oh, I didn't know this. Know all this stuff would happen, but then. You also had like um, experience in the entertainment industry. You had experience like in the business world. That kind of in our community could could put you in an unusual situation because you don't always have access to everything. So who, yeah, who's I mean, asking we, you? Uh, we both have the benefit of being white. <laughs> we also have the benefit of having a higher education. Both of us went to a four year college. Um, we also have the benefit of being conventionally attractive like when you're asking people for money being conventionally attractive helps whether people like it or not like that I think that's that's a thing that's not super discussed Jan Janet Mock talks a little bit about talks a lot about it um, but I think we also need to take into account that fact like all of those factors put us in a privileged position where we could open this business um, and I don't ever want to 
forget that. I try very hard not to forget that. And um, I think a lot of times there's a narrative and, and we've seen it happen too, where people, I'm really glad you're asking these questions because people will interview us and then um, they want to concoct a story. Like we've had stories, you know, people want the bootstrap story, like, oh, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps when actually that phrase was not, that was meant to be an impossible metaphor. You can't pull your own, you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps because you're holding yourself down. Um, so, you know, I just want to be transparent about like, we, we were able to open up this business because of the privilege that we inhabit. Um, it's not an easy, it's not, it's not easy. It was not easy to do. It's been one of the most challenging things either of us have ever tackled in our lives. Um, but without that extra multiple steps up, it would not have happened. I mean, I'm very struck by the fact that neither of you need to be supported by the business and how much that also impacts the success. And then at the same time, I don't want to say that then that therefore, like, you also know that I think that that makes you pretty amazing, right? <laughs> that you would care to spend your time and energy on something that you're deliberately don't need to be like, there's, there's the, there's the part of that. That's like, it's, it's really easy to invest in something that is going to, I mean, invest like in every way, invest your money, yeah. invest your time, invest your energy in something that you think is going to eventually prove out. Um, when I started doing stand-up, I mean, it wasn't how I made my living for a lot of years, but the goal was, I always knew that I was investing that much time and energy because I would eventually make my living in this thing that I was putting myself through hell for. Right. So I think this is also a different thing that, you know, I want to thank you for. I definitely hear... Um, like so much buzz about the shop all the time. It's like definitely a part of what people are talking about, about when people talk about what's happening in LA. Or I was just like at my friend's house right before this who are straight cis couple. And they and I was, and they asked me who I was interviewing. I said, you, and they're like, oh yeah, it's just down the street. We love that place. So like, you know, this is not, it's making waves in our community. It's not ending at our community. Other people know about it. So I just want to, Make sure that you get that feedback because I don't That's know. Really I don't know if you get Thanks. that feedback. That's really great to hear. Thank you. Sometimes we do. <laughs> Yelp reviews. Are great. <laughs> I think it's interesting what you were saying about it's making waves beyond our community. Like we can talk about dismantling capitalism and we can talk about dismantling structures of oppression, but we also need to live while that's happening. That's right. I mean, I guess that's what I was trying to say is that, like, I'm not somebody who's going like, no, no, prop up the banks, you know, like. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think that um, for me, if we live totally outside the system, because, you know, that is a part of queerness, too, is like the mm -hmm. model of like when we all move somewhere and we're on like a commune together or whatever. But um, when I think about what I'm trying to do, create safety for myself and then not have that sphere of safety end with my body, but like really try to hold the door open for folks around me. And I think, I mean, it's it's my experience that safety requires buy-in from people that aren't just us. And that one way that you can participate in that is, is actually by entering the economy. Like I just, yeah. you know, I wish there were, but I mean, what are the systems? Like, there's only so many systems. In our, it's like religion. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to enter that. <laughs> you know, like, so, like the economy. Like, I'm kind of okay entering that because at least I know. Yeah. At least people are honest. Yeah. About how shitty it is. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> whatever it is. Um, but uh, 
yeah, I think that it is important to be there and stake your flag and and also like you're talking about so how many employees do you have right now? So currently we have four. Um five. We have five employees. And those people, do they support themselves at cuties? I'm just curious. Um so I'd say two people are full time and the other three have us as a part of their mix. And how income. long have you been open? It's like one year. A one year. year. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, I think that's like a huge bit of success. If, if, we, if we didn't have um, anything but what we have already achieved, I would say it's, it's a huge success. Um, I hope it continues for a very, very long time. Um, and, but just some of the things that we've been able to see and do with this project um, – have changed me uh, in in huge ways, um, in ways that I'm I'm very very happy for, and I think that a lot of people involved in the space would say the same thing, um, and seeing how people use the space and seeing what it means to them, especially people I don't know, uh, cool. because when it first started, you know, it's your buddies, your buds, um, but now most of the people that come in, I don't know. Um, and that's a, it's, it's really nice to see what the space can do for them. Um, so I, I appreciate that comment. I, I, I'm, I'm really happy with where we've gotten. Actually. Yeah. That does make, I want to ask a follow-up, which is like, what have you both learned about yourselves opening this business? And then I want to ask you what you've learned about our community, but I can take it in two parts. What have you learned about yourself? Um, I think this process, uh, from start until now has taught me, that my capacity is much greater than I anticipate. It's like when you have the, the, the drive and the energy and the commitment to your path, it's, and also just like the level of stress. I have had to get so good at managing stress just to like exist. So I'm not walking around like a tense little ball of stress all the time. Like this has taught me that I do have the capacity to gauge my limits and to take care of myself and also take on a lot more than I ever would have imagined. Like you just have to figure it out. Like Congrats. That's great. That's great. What about you? What about you, Virginia? I used to, so my family comes from a very Methodist background in Virginia and they're all like, none of them are in business. Everybody went into service oriented jobs like social work or, um, aid work, um, there's very few people or teaching like everybody has a profession that is in service of some sort. Um, I am not religious. Most of my family is not religious anymore, but I, I do think that there is a, a strong, um, a strong level of fulfillment that I get doing things that are in service to either a community or someone else. Hospitality work by definition fits into that really well. Um, but I, I do think that there, there's been um, a refocusing of my history that came with the past, like, three years of working on this project. And it sort of it, – it, it took a while for me to focus on, but it's, it's definitely been there and, and goes way, way, way back. I get that feeling. I know what you mean. Yeah. I mean, that's true in my life. Yeah. I was going to be a social worker. Oh, wow. I went to social work school. I went to social work grad school. Uh, and then I wanted to be a priest. 
And that is what I do, sort of. You know? Confessional. They're all so related. <laughs> They're all so related. Yeah. I mean, a, a large part of a large part of what we what we started doing, which was just like um, coffee and donuts on Sundays, was straight out of a church playbook. I've heard of things happening on Sundays. Yeah. So. That you can eat and drink at. Yeah. I've been to some of those things. Yeah. I know about those things. Sometimes they <laughs> happen. Sometimes they have caffeine. Sometimes yeah. they have fried things. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what have you learned about our community? Ooh. <laughs> it's okay if it's too if it's too much. I feel like y'all have been absorbing like some pretty serious questions and just being like, I can answer that. <laughs> I mean, I think I've been struck by uh the just seeing how pain and trauma gets passed from person to person for to experience to experience. Um, I think that's the main thing. It's just like, how do we, like, you can't stop pain and you can't stop trauma. You can acknowledge it and dress and address it and do your best to heal from it and help heal others. Um, but the question is, how do we, like learning that about the community, it's like, hey, how do we make this a little bit of a softer experience for people who come into the shop? Like that's why we don't post about any any. We try not to post about the news in our social media. Like people can get that from anywhere else. Um, if there is something that's in current events that we want to write about or talk about, uh, if it's something that is a challenge, we want to offer people a uh, a opportunity to take action with that news. Because if you don't have that, there's no – it just keeps spinning around inside you, right? But if you learn about something that you want to change and you have even a small opportunity to make that change, that changes that cycle and it stops that rattling around inside. You're not holding that anymore. You're you're healing it. There's yeah. I, I think I, – I think it, it put me more directly in touch with the community. Um, we definitely have an ear um, that is more attuned to more diverse input, like socioeconomic uh, backgrounds. There are um, our events have always had a pretty decent mix, but there are a lot of people that want things that are not us. You know, the the community has a lot of pain. And they need to build their own spaces, and they need to be enabled to build those spaces. Um, and I think that, like, by creating one space, I've I, I've just learned that there needs to be many, many more, and a lot of them I can't build. Sure, I please don't take that on. That's I, too much. Yeah. I'll help you. <laughs> I'll do like one other one, and Great. then we'll get a couple other people involved. They could do one exactly. Mm -hmm. I yeah. think a lot of people when they see like. There's there's this Tumblr meme that talks about like why there should be less gay bars and more gay coffee shops and people tag us on it every now and then. It's really cute. <laughs> um, and like there are others. Um, there's Hasta de Morte in Oakland, um, which is an inspiration. Um, there are uh, there's Wide Open Palms in Long Beach. Wide Eyes Open Palms. Wide Eyes Open Palms in Long Beach. Um, but people project their their biggest hopes and dreams of what they want that shop to be on us sometimes, and uh, we're not going to live up to that. We're just we're just a business. With I'm a glad line. you know that. 
it's taken a it's taken a year, but we got there. <laughs> it's very hard to um hey, you don't have to tell this guy that um you gotta really set your expectations for yourself at a reasonable level and constantly reevaluate what is reasonable. Yeah. But easier said than done. Yeah. Um it seems like uh you two are extremely reflective people and that you've already achieved so much. So I have no doubt in my mind that this will continue to be what you want it to be because that seems to be like you are very good at choosing uh, your words and your actions. And so that kind of thought usually yields a positive result. Hey, thanks. We mm -hmm. try. Yeah, thanks. Um, I want to ask you before I send you back into your other lives – um, that aren't sitting in this room podcasting uh, for you to shout out a queero and that's just like a person or a place or thing that made you feel strong and confident in the person that you are today I'm looking up I need to make sure I have her her last name right because I do not want to miss miss say it so give me one second yeah no worries Virginia you got one or we can wait I I ain't got no or are you both gonna spend time looking up people's last names because I also am really I'm so bad with I mean I'm just so I can I can say I can say their I can say their we can also just wait just they're cut this whole time yeah time travel. We I'm can cut work. this whole time. Then it's magic. so doable. It's not even hard <laughs> to do it. I oh, mean, I can keep magic. singing this time travel song, but I'm just saying. I feel like we should keep it in the cause of that yeah, song. Yeah, and now your voice is in yep, it. Yep, I'm here now. That's it. Time travel. Time travel. Right. There's no reason There's to rush anything. No one's here except for us. <laughs> And the sound and paneling. And there's other people, but they're not. It's okay. <laughs> that was a really good song. Can you do Thank the Doctor Who theme song? You. Um, I don't know the Doctor Who theme song because I've never seen a single episode. Oh, wow. That's, that's I know. You're I'm not like that kind of gay, apparently. And I'm like super think. into sci-fi stuff, but I just, I'm not British enough, I think, is the yeah. problem. Ah. Okay. Do we have them? Yeah, we got them. Wow. That took you no know, time at all. It is that time of the podcast where I'm going to ask uh, both of you if you would like to shout out a queero. That's just like a person or place or thing that may feel confident in the person you are today. So mine, mine actually goes back to where I grew up. There was, um, there was this little theater community called Shenan Arts in the Shenandoah Valley. And one of the founding directors there, his name is Paul Hildebrandt. Um, and he was probably the first mentor that I ever had. Um, and probably also the first out gay person that I met, um, and sort of started me on this journey of <laughs> so many things, but, um, but he always made me feel safe and he always created spaces. It was, it was this really beautiful, um, uh, Shannon Arts was uh, basically a barn with a stage it was great. That sounds good. It was like uh, let's go to that now. Uh, it's on a hill. I could see it. I lived. I lived on a little knoll, and I could see the farm, Penny Royal Farm, from where I grew up. And I could, like, all, with binoculars, I could see the plays that they were putting on, and they would have. <laughs> but um, but it was just a. It was a great. Um, it was a great little theater community, led by a bunch of queerdos. And you and you lived in on a knoll. I, I don't want to let that pass by without saying 
I lived on a knoll. That's beautiful sounding. Yeah. Sounds beautiful. I still have I still have hankerings for living on knolls uh, because of that. But Paul Hildebrandt was was amazing and um, set me up for a lot. What's up, Paul? Thank you, um, Iris. What do you have? Uh, so my queero is a newer one to me. Um, their name is Lilac Villette uh, Maldonado, and they are a founder of the L.A. Spoonie Collective. Uh, so in case you don't know what spoon theory is. I certainly don't know. Okay, so um, spoon theory is uh, something that's applied to chronic illness or chronic pain or uh, people who live with disabilities. And the idea is we're all... We all have a certain amount of spoons when we start out our day. And for people with chronic illness or disability, uh, we might start out with less spoons at the beginning of the day, or we also, it might cost us more spoons to do activities like going to get the mail, that might take up a spoon. Um, But for somebody who's able-bodied or who does not live with chronic illness, it takes up no spoons. so spoon, you know, spoonie or spoonies are people who identify um, with that label and with uh, their chronic illness or their uh, disability. So uh, she founded uh, the LA Spoonie to- Collective with her group of. Um, I'm, I'm interchanging. Uh, she uses she or they, so you'll hear me switch back and forth. Um, but she's uh, she lives with disability. She's an amazing um, tall femme with flowing hair. She's a femme of color. uh, And I've been going through um, getting a diagnosis for fibromyalgia uh, recently. And the day I had just come back from uh, my primary care doctor, I said, hey, they were like, how are you doing? And I said, well, this is what's happening. And they were just like, hey, I have that too. If you ever want to talk about it, I'm here to talk about it. And just that moment of like, like they live on so many different intersections of marginalization, but just in that brief moment, just that kindness and um, I see you extended to me, it was uh, it was transformative. Um, and it's helped me once I got my diagnosis um, just last week, actually, um, it's helped me feel connected in a way that I don't think I would have felt connected had I not had that conversation with them that day. Um, and I'm just constantly inspired by the work that they do um, and by their unabashed queerness, the way they live and um, find joy and, and bring joy to so many other people. Oh, man. I want to give you like a little hand squeeze. Yeah. Hey, thanks feels. for the hand squeeze. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> um, I realized that was a lot to just no, say. I was right? going <laughs> to ask a follow up question. What are you supposed to do with the spoons at the end of the day? Use them to eat ice cream. Oh, yeah. This definitely. is one option. Yep stack them what yeah are, what are the you other can save you can save them up for tomorrow you know okay, got it you can um also you don't like running out of spoons is not great right so if you end the day with extra spoons not a bad thing yeah 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 well if you need me to come over wash some spoons I can do that. Awesome. I have I have rainbow spoons you can you can wash. I'm not joking. <laughs> really good at hand washing spoons. They look like this water bottle yeah. that they have. Amazing. Here. It was really nice of you both to take time out of your day to come in here and talk to me. I was very excited to uh, I was very excited that Sierra Hello Sierra. I was very excited that Sierra was able to make this work for us. And um, hey, where can so cuties, how can people find it? They could go there. What's the address? 710 North Heliotrope Drive, Los Angeles, California. Amazing. And if there's an internet thing where they want to dig around and see what you're talking about, where would that be? 
Yeah, so you can go to highcuties.com. That's H-I-C-U-T-I-E-S.com. Um, and you can sign up for our newsletter there. You can support our Patreon. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't say that um, we actually have a community tab inside of our shop, and it's funded entirely by our patrons. And so when you come in, if you don't have the funds for a drink, you can just take uh, tokens out of that fund and pay with it. And that is entirely funded by people who support our Patreon. You know what's so great? There's a ton of listeners on yeah. this podcast. So yeah. I hope they go and donate to your Patreon to keep our community with the stuff that we need. Yeah. So yeah. good job. Thanks. Yeah. I, you would have been remiss if you if you didn't say that. So I'm very happy that, to put that information into people's uh, ears. You get to see blooper reels if you're a patron yeah. of us filming videos and being not professionals. <laughs> Rad. We, we also, if you're in the LA area, we do a newsletter most weeks, uh, and we also do a video sort of highlighting other events that you can go to that week. Ooh. Um, and you can get those videos on Instagram. Uh, I believe our handle is Cuties LA. Amazing. Well, great job. You nailed all of the descriptions of things where people can find you. Virginia, Iris, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank so you much. for having yeah. us, Cameron. Hey, this is Arnie Niekamp from the Improv Fantasy Podcast, Hello from the Magic Tavern. I fell through a dimensional portal behind a Burger King in Chicago into the magical land of Foon, and I started a podcast. Season three has just begun with a brand new adventure to defeat the Dark Lord. If you're a new listener or you've fallen behind, season three is a great jumping on point. And we've got great guests like Justin McElroy. I sound like a fancy college professor. Eight nights. <laughs> Rachel Bloom. You all see my collection of men corpses and one woman. Felicia Day and Colton Dunn. You've seen <coughs> me have intercourse with a variety of species. It's a bummer. Andy Daly. You have the members of Genesis listed, but Phil Collins yeah. has crossed out and then circled and crossed out again. Uh, yes, I have killed Phil Collins twice. Thomas Middleditch. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I mean, Jazos. <laughs> Ruler of the Eighth Circle. And that's just the beginning. Season three of Hello from the Magic Tavern is out now. Listen in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.